from the Carter Subaru Studios, this is the G and Ursula Show with G. Scott and Ursula Voitine. Well, welcome back to the G and Ursula show on this fresh Friday. I'm Angela, along with Travis Mayfield, sitting in for G and Ursula today. We invite you to join us on the Muckleshoot Casino Resort text line. We enjoy reading what you yeah, have to say. It is. Yeah. Uh, 888-973-5476. 888-973-5476. All right, let's get to the news. What's new at 10? Okay, it's something that happens in cities across the country. Tacoma trying to get ahead of it. We're talking about gentrification when neighborhoods go significantly up in value and longtime residents get squeezed out. A report in the Tacoma News Tribune highlighted the city's plan to try to prevent this from happening. They call it their anti-displacement strategy. 21 actions the city can consider as it develops and grows. Now, some of the goals include, Travis, uh, purchasing land to build units in high displacement areas, a community land trust, uh, increasing funding for the city's tenant protection program, um, housing assistance, maybe on a one-time like one mm. basis if you're in a pinch, and property tax relief programs. Now, these are goals and ideas long-term. But I want to start with the basic question of why should Tacoma or any other city spend public money to keep some people living in the city? I mean, at the bare minimum, it feels like governments, big or small, should have a priority to keep people who are already housed, housed. We have a significant unhoused population. The problem continues to grow. It is not a problem that we seem to have come up with a good solution for. So at the bare minimum, our government should be doing something, in my opinion, that keeps people who already have a roof over their head in that particular place. And if we can't do that, it seems like our government is doing something pretty wrong. Yeah. And, you know, on the surface, it seems like a good thing when you're able to, let's say, have a neighborhood that maybe have some, you know, some some struggles and you bring in some new things, yeah. some new stores, some, you know, some new housing. But a lot of people over the years have said, well, the housing that they're building is not housing that anyone can afford. So I do like the idea of being able to incentivize developers in some way, whether it's maybe discounts or some kind of something that would be useful for them to build housing that people can actually afford. Chef, what were you going to say? Well, I mean, we hear this all the time on the text line. You don't have a right to live in Seattle, right? I mean... The economics of any large city, any major metro or, or like metropolitan area, is the fact is prices are going to up, going to go up, and I, I hear about gentrification a lot. I hear about displacement. I understand why it's a bad thing, but I also want to know why we need to dump public money into stopping a small portion of people who are still living in a city from leaving, especially if we're talking about like. Let's say uh, a homeowner, right? We want to provide property tax assistance to a homeowner. You have an asset that ostensibly you have uh, you have some money in, right? You've got equity built up. Why should the city say we're going to give you tax tax money off? Or we're going to give you assistance to keep you in that home when you could leverage the equity to move elsewhere. Why should a city like Tacoma say, hey, we know you've been renting here for 10 years and you could move to Yelm, 
but we're going to give you money directly so that you are able to stay in Tacoma. Why is that a good investment of public resources? I would argue that a city's lifeblood is its diversity, and the worst thing that could happen for a city is that it becomes nothing but rich white people or rich whatever people like the idea that we are moving toward a place where we're driving older people out of their homes people of different socioeconomic uh, different family structures because their home suddenly has all this value that only if you make a certain amount of money and you can afford this two million dollar house then your whole city becomes only people could who can afford two million and you know, we used to live next to folks who had lived in our house, in our neighborhood since the 1950s, an elderly African-American couple with grown kids. Like they were wonderful neighbors. And our neighborhood as one of those neighborhoods that has become gentrified and priced them out. And they ultimately left. And and it makes me sad. It's a loss for our little tiny neighborhood. It's a and loss our of culture, community, right. history, connection. So there's the piece that money can't buy, which is that part of it. I mean, if you look at the area of Madrona, it is so weird in that it, I use the word weird because there's a sense from the people who moved in that they don't understand the history yeah. of that neighborhood. And it's like, we're here and we've been here and it, and it's just this disconnect. And I think it's so important that you keep that sense of community connection. But I want to address your question, Chef, from a from just an outcomes perspective. Mm-hmm. There, one thing in the anti-displacement plan, they they talked about something that happened in Tacoma at the Merkel Hotel. It was 2018. It was purchased and renovated. It displaced low-income tenants. Three years later, there was a report done by KNKX, a three-part series. Over half of those residents had died. Over half. There isn't always another viable place to go. And let me just also tell you about Myron Curry. He is an artist in Seattle. And I hope you look him up and support him because he has been, he loves doing art, but he's also doing his art to raise money so that his grandfather can keep his house in the Central District. Mm. He is this sweet 90-year-old man who has this house that I'm sure is worth, you know, worth a good amount of money and wants to stay where he has, you know, raised his family and has been for all this time. And I think there's value in keeping Myron Curry's grandpa in the neighborhood and that he shouldn't have to because the property taxes shoot up and all these things around him are happening have to all of a sudden lose where he spent that time and the wealth that comes when you're able to pass on something like that to your family over time so oh chef you're not giving me a rebuttal i was waiting on chef to be like well but here's where here's where it makes sense right if you if you truly have soaring property values and uh an economic class moving in that has tons of money is there enough money to spread around to help people? Okay. But if you're, I mean, you're saying like there's cultural value, there's historical value, there's community connections. I get all that from a, but from a bottom line perspective, when you look at a city budget, what you are doing is you are devoting a greater percentage of resources to people who are revenue neutral from a budget perspective, right? Or revenue negative from a large perspective. Uh, and if there's money to do that, Great. I like it. But that's not what city leaders are often telling us right now. They're telling us it's a budget emergency almost every year. We hear that. Okay. Well, here's something you can do that wouldn't, isn't necessarily like dollar for dollar we're spending money. If you say we're going to change zoning so that 
it's not just going to be big houses on the street, but it's mixed use. I love when you see a neighborhood where there are some big houses, there are some townhomes, there are some ADUs, and that allows people of all income levels to be able to find a space. So when you're redeveloping and, and it just, to me, that is something that you can do that doesn't necessarily cost a ton of money. Okay, let me it give you like one idea okay. where, I, where I could see this working out, right? Uh, state law last year passed uh, makes it so that anyone who has basically any property anywhere in the state, so long as there's room, can put an accessory dwelling unit mm-hmm. on yep. their property. However, not many people either have the wherewithal, the knowledge, or the upfront capital to figure out how to plan and finance something like that. Now, this would make sense for a lot of older folks who can't afford their properties, right? I could put up an ADU on my property, but I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to go about it. Well, if there's an office that can say, here's a set of plans for ADUs that we're going to pre-approve, right? You don't have to do the planning. You don't have to hire the architect. We're going to have a city liaison walk you through the process. We're going to partner with a local bank who can secure loans for people who have equity. They have a property, right? And we can find a way for people to leverage what they have to stay in their property. That's a great program. I would love something like that. Okay, well, good. We found some middle we ground. It's solving oh, yeah, it. the world's problems. Let's I, keep it. Oh, go ahead. Quickly, I also yeah. want to say that I think there is a dollar for dollar um, cost that you mm-hmm. were. And here's what it is: it's that you drive um, this this person out of a neighborhood that yes, they've got the equity in that home, and then they go to a suburban, cheaper area where they can afford. But what happens to the people who then are lower economic who would have been able to afford that suburb? And you get per- pushed further and further. Ultimately, there's a cost, and it's why. Why housing prices and rental prices continue to increase both at the core of a city as well as out in the suburbs. And if we continue to allow that to happen, instead of keeping people housed where they already are, then that is a ripple effect. And then you have the situation where you have Burien dealing with a homeless situation. You have Redmond outraged at whether they can have a home. Like It is something that you displace even a rich person, and let's call somebody with equity in a home in a city a rich person who has a million dollar in equity, and you go to then use that some in Tacoma, then you displace someone in Tacoma as that gentrifies and then they that person cannot afford to live in Puyallup and they have to move even and, and then at some point you have people who cannot afford housing at all. So, so pay now or pay more later. That's what right. you're saying is that people in Yelm should care about displacement in Tacoma just as much as people in yes. Tacoma care about Seattle and it's almost like this is an entire region. It's problem. shocking how that works. Yes. We're all connected. <laughs> Let's go. Okay, the University of Washington ranked number four among public universities in the world. What? In the world. In a survey examining a school's prestige through research and teaching, the Times Higher Education Annual Reputation Ranking listed the top 200 universities determined by a survey of academics who cast votes on the most prestigious schools. This was released Monday and reported in UW News. Now, when included... When including, I should say, private institutions, UW moved down to number 26 in the rankings. But still, still good. Yeah. But still, Harvard, uh, MIT, and Stanford 
top the list. So you're you are from Washington. Yeah. What is your reaction to this? Okay, so I, I first of all, I'm 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 a fan of being a fan. So like I'm like yeah, good for like good for us. Like I like that. I'm a happy thing. You know, we live in Montlake, so like I feel like we're a kid. Like you know, we're neighbors to UW, and like I, I can hear the stadium. So I'm not a husky, but I'm a fan. I'm I'm a fan of the the idea. I like to brag about this. But here's what makes me a little bit sad is I think about this, and then I think, well, where on the list is WSU, Washington State? Like I looked and. They couldn't find it. And that's not a, a like me trying to cast stones at WSU. Like I also went to college in Spokane and like worked in Spokane. Like I am a like there's part of me that is a coog. Like I, I may not have gone there, but I feel akin to that school too. And I feel like growing up around here, it used to be a pretty legitimate comparison between the very different schools, but I felt like quality wise and like, yeah, there was a West Side bias, but still like you could be a proud coog, you could be a proud and like you could say both. And unfortunately, when a school kind of rises to this place where it gets all this shine and all this money and and then athletics take off and and punishes the other schools in the no longer conference, for example, I worry about what this does to our other publicly funded schools. Are we only going to focus on one public school in this state or can we truly have a great public college system that celebrates all of the schools that we have. Um, and, and that's what worries me a little bit about this. I want to celebrate Western. I want to celebrate Central. I want to celebrate Eastern. I want to celebrate WSU as well as celebrating University of Washington. That's fair. All right. What about since you have this historical context, I've heard from those who grew up here that the University of Washington used to be a school that you could reasonably plan to mm, attend. Yes. That if you wanted to go to college. And now, how do you feel about the fact that your kids, they may or may not get it? I don't know. <laughs> like, no, I mean, it's it's really hard to get. But but there are other great universities in the state. They're just not number four in the world in public university. <laughs> but it does feel like a public, a state institution should be looking at state pupils and saying, yeah, we're going to help you get in. It's gentrification. Of higher education. <laughs> and higher there education. you go. <laughs> Who cheers for this? Like, when I see these headlines come out about you, Doug, <laughs> you're like, wah, wah, wah. Here comes Chef to be like, let the, me just take off. The old U.S. News and World Report rankings would be like, UW's number one. Every time I see these, I'm just like, hey, there's another, there's another, like, brick out of the wall of my kid being able to go to this school. Because all my family went to you. Yeah. All of my family. I did not. And I look at it now. I literally had the conversation with my son, Matthew. He's getting in, into the Huskies because of football, sure. right? Yeah. And he's like, Dad, I'm going to go to UW. And I look at him and I was like, you better be darn near perfect, Matthew. And he looks at me like, what do you mean? I was like, no, I, I'm being serious. If you actually want to go to that school, you need to start thinking about how you approach your academics within the next couple of years because the patterns and habits that you create now are going to determine whether that's even an option for you. And I feel like there's something lost when there we have is... a homegrown university and we have to have that conversation with our kids. You know, and we're not talking about like bottom of the barrel kids. We're talking about kids with 3.9, yeah. 3.8s who UW says no to. It was no one to. of my There was a, the story of the valedictorian who and and here's what's I agree with you, chef. My kid has a a 4.0 and I had to talk, actually, it's higher than that. I had to talk to her you about have higher than a 4.0. Well, you take these AP courses, right? So they can, they weight it. Uh huh. So it can go higher. Great yeah. inflation. That's what I call it's, it. But, it, but unweighted, <laughs> let's just say for it. But, yeah. but yeah. I'm having you have to a have smart a smart kid. But many 
4.0ers get rejected all the time at, at all these universities because there are, there are so many. And so now you have to have a talk with your kid about, well, how are you going to spend your summer? How are you spending your free time? And so I, I just said, look, I just need you to know that when it comes to college, there are some places that want you to do this or want you to do that. And so she just looks at me and leans back in her chair and puts her feet on my desk and she goes I just want to be a normal kid how about that you know? I love that Good for her I yeah. love that like honestly I'm probably about five years away from having the conversation with my son that's like you know what those kids who go to UW they might get in but they're suckers <laughs> You ever heard of Bellevue College? <laughs> One quarter the price. And I'll add this. There is something to be said. Like, okay, first of all, Bellingham. That, yeah. I, okay, yeah. Bellingham, being able to have a smaller I class mean, size. I mean, Ellensburg is lovely. Being able to have a smaller class yeah. size. So I think there's value in that. I mean, I, I'm really glad that we have a university doing well, but that doesn't mean that's the only place you can get a great education and have a great career. True. Travis, where did Wazoo rank on party schools? Oh. <laughs> I mean, is, are, are they fallen out of the now top two? Now that's a ranking. <laughs> can I just I'm sure they're somewhere in the top ten. Quickly say that UW was one of my backup schools when I was applying. All right, there's that. Coming up next from us. <laughs> I love you, UW. I love you. Go Huskies. <laughs> Go Zags. Coming up next from us at the bottom of the hour, libraries. Everybody hates libraries these days. I'm kind of sick of it, to be honest. So we're going to talk about why libraries are amazing, especially the Seattle Public Library and how they're getting kids to read some really weighty, significant stuff. That's coming up here on the Gian Ursula Show next on Cairo News Radio. hour of the G and Ursula show is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. Happy Fresh Friday here on the G and Ursula show. I'm Travis Mayfield. Angela Poe Russell is here with me as well. G and Ursula are off today. We got to get to this story about libraries because libraries are kind of under assault in this country. I feel like every time I pick up like the newspaper, I'm picking up the newspaper. Every time I look at social media, I read my phone. I like, like you more if you pick up a newspaper. <laughs> more people should. I mean, that's what we're talking about is reading, right? That's what libraries are for. But the Iowa state lawmakers debating a bill to cut library funding entirely, close library boards, Missouri Republican lawmakers proposing cutting all library public funding in their budget. In Georgia, the state Senate wants to outlaw the American Library Association. In our state, there have been debates. Liberty Lake outside of Spokane. They tried to wrestle control away from the librarians there in Dayton. They tried to just close the library entirely. So instead of attacking the libraries, I want to take a couple of minutes, if you're cool with this, Angela. Um, let's take your time. celebrate libraries and librarians. And I have a really good example. Hundreds of kids in Seattle over the last couple of weeks have been reading really weighty pieces of fiction. Um, th- I mean, these are the big topics. There's a, a novel about Native American history, um, about genocide, about autism, about uh, Caribbean mythology. There's one that's about a Sephardic Jewish family that also has Muslim members and their family history. There's a story about a tween coming to discover their trans. These eight different books, really, again, weighty topics. And these kids, fourth and fifth graders, have been reading these books and doing it on their own. These are not assigned by teachers. They're volunteer. Like they're being like raising their hand, and being like, "I want to read more." 
And you know who's behind it? The Seattle Public Library. They have this program called the Global Reading Challenge, where they each beginning of each year, they say to fourth and fifth graders, here are eight books that we've picked out, like really meaty books, like get together with a team of like five, six kids and then read these books. And then we'll do you kind of like a game show quiz and ask you questions and then we'll crown a winner for your school. And then the winner from each school across Seattle goes on to compete for like the winner of the city. And they, the librarians have been in schools this week. I know cause I volunteered for our daughter's team at Montlake elementary. I got to be the coach of her greeting and like watching. It was like their the, the one kid, um, yeah, like kind of a, a, a jock kid, like not maybe super that literarily oriented before, read all the books, was proud every week to come in and be like, I read this new book. Or the, another kid that like maybe, maybe doesn't always, I talked to his mom, doesn't always love to come to school, has wanted to come to school every single time we have a global reading challenge. Like, that's amazing to me. So now our team won. For the school, so I'm super excited. So you, you get to go to, to the citywide to the citywide right. one now. And yes. I, but what I love here is like this is a program that Seattle Public Library has been doing since 1995, and it is that that's thousands of kids who have just voluntarily at fourth fourth grade 10, 10 years old said I want to read more. Yeah. I love the global reading challenge. My daughter did it when she was in yeah. uh, fourth. I can't remember if it was fourth or fifth grade, but it, I, I love it for many reasons. It's making it's it almost gamifies the reading. Yeah. Thing, right. Yeah. It gamifies it. It's teamwork. Yes. Because they work together as a team. Yes. So you don't want to let your team down. And I think it gets people in the library and exposed to different ideas and concepts. And I, I just think it's a it's a beautiful program. And I'm so excited that your family's getting to experience it. And can I just I don't know what education was like for you growing up, but I feel like there were more opportunities like that. Like I was part of the geography bowl yeah. and thing and like learning what I, I feel like that's an example of making learning fun yeah. so much that you really think you're just volunteering. Like you, you, you are, but it's, I don't know if that makes sense. But. No, it does. And, and, and because I actually talked to one of our teachers earlier this week about this whole subject about like, you know, obviously they have, they have re- curriculum requirements. Mm-hmm. They've got test scores to worry about all these things that absolutely we need to have as well. But she was like, but the stuff that I hear from the kids is, can we read this book and talk more about it? Oh. And you're like, how do you how do you balance that when you only have six hours in a school day where you've got to, you know, prepare for the tests and make sure that they've got their multiplication tables memorized? And all of that is important. But uh, but I love this. That's that's back to the original point of like, that's why libraries exist. So that an hour after school or an hour before school, you can stop in the library and find a book that speaks to you or maybe discover a book that you had no idea would speak to you. And can I, I just have to pause and say that there was a child who was like, can we have time in the class to talk about it? It was beautiful. And why that is beautiful is because if we're thinking about rearing kids in a way that when they get older, they can have discussions with with people different than them, mm-hmm. different ideas, different opinions. And if you think about it, like after you re- after everyone reads the same book and has different takeaways and different things they want to bring up and they may disagree on something, what great training for life. Absolutely. That's right? exactly right. Like do your homework for life. You know, we I mean because right, don't we live in this world right now where I see a headline and I immediately have an opinion. I don't want to click on it because it'll ruin my opinion and I'm just going to have like ah and then I'm just I'm not listening to you. I'm waiting for you to pause so I can jump in and have an opinion. But like, here's a minute where you got to read it 
and then you got to contextualize it, and then you sit down and have a conversation with your other, you know, your friends, or even maybe kids that weren't your friends, and you have a conversation about it, and then yeah, you compete against each other to who knows more, who knows more. That's a competition <laughs> that I like. I think one thing that's especially interesting about this is how it plays into current society. Um, we we went screen free about two months ago God with my you. son. Yeah. How old is he? He's seven. Okay. And it was like this crutch. It was a parental crutch. And it's also something that the kids, once they get hooked on it, it's it's like they, they know there's a dopamine hit available. Mm. And I have seen his reading like improve like a hockey stick since we took screens away. So, so one, I think having books as an option and an alternative to screens is important. But also when we're talking about higher order thinking skills, critical thinking skills, analysis, right? Uh, being able to debate, to debate ideas and concepts. Those are things that you need to learn now, especially with AI, because you need to be able to have like these executive level functions and abilities that can't be simply replaced. Like there's so many jobs that are process oriented or data oriented or regurgitation oriented. And if you're able to train kids these days to, to do that kind of thinking, that's really important. That being said, I still think that the Pizza Hut Book It Challenge was, <laughs> I mean, you remember those yeah. little, uh, you get the yeah. miniature pan yes. pizza for the summer reading challenge. Yeah. It was like dripping with grease. <laughs> That's what got me hooked. Pizza plus competition. I, I would sign me up today. I, so let's just, I mean, Seattle Public Libraries, like if there's anybody listening right now, thank you. Y'all are amazing. This is an amazing program that you've been doing since 1995. If you know a kid who's done this, you know how amazing it is. Like, let's just take a minute and be like, you guys are awesome. Yes. And you know, Vince in Rochester said, if it wasn't for libraries, I would have been straight out of luck in my 20s searching for jobs um, on PC. You're having to file for unemployment. Believe it or not, there are people out there that still need those resources. So not only for what they're doing in this capacity, yeah. but just for the community at large. A lot of love for our libraries. Yay out there. for and, libraries. And by the way, the Global Reading Challenge, don't they put those books online? Because someone was saying yeah. they homeschool yeah. and would love to get a list of those books. Yes. If you so, go to the Seattle Public Library, SPL.org and you search for the Global Reading Challenge, you can find this year's list of books, all the previous year's lists of books, and honestly, even as a grown-up, I read all these books and they're great. Healer of the Water Monster, you should read it. It's phenomenal. Healing of the Water Monster. Healer of the Water Monster. Yeah. All right. Coming up next from us, it's Scenarios. After this. Scenarios is brought to you by 1-800-DUI-AWAY. All right, welcome back to the G and Ursula show. I'm Angela along with Travis. We're filling in for G and Ursula today. It sounds like it is time for Scenarios. Here we go, yo. Here we go, yo. From Slate today, I have an ongoing situation with my 17-year-old son, Jacob, who's a sharp kid, which causes him to think he knows better than adults in just about everything, you know, pretty much like a typical teen. He has restrictions on his phone and internet usage, and he knows that my husband and I monitor him, especially since he virtually refuses to answer texts or calls from mom or dad. The issue came when he got a car. 
That gave him a range to go a lot of places he really shouldn't, and he's canny enough with electronics that I wasn't sure we could entirely trust his phone to report his location accurately, especially if he was willing to drop it off somewhere. So I slipped a cheapy phone under the little flap that stores the spare tire, and I could always track the location to know where he was driving. But about three weeks ago, he had a flat tire and went to change it and discovered the phone and figured out what it's for, and now he's stopped talking to me entirely. If he absolutely has to communicate, he'll write something, give it to his younger sister, and get her to hand the note to me. He'll sit in the room with me for dinner, but other than that, he leaves when I enter. I get that he feels oppressed, but I also feel he's being dramatic. How can I get him to see the light? Travis, you want to you wanna take a crack at this one first? I mean, first, can I say, like, you should have just told him that you were going to do this. You don't have to tell him where the phone is, but, like, we put the little iPad or I, what are they, the eye tracker, AirTag. Air tags in our kids' backpack. I showed it to our kids. I was like, these are in there. I, I do it because I need to know where you are. Like, it's, it's for your own safety. Like, tell the kid, like, you have the privilege of having a car. I put a tracking device on your car. I'm not going to tell you where it is. And if it goes away, I will take the car away. So, A, that's where you maybe next time do it a little differently. B, like, I stopped talking to my parents at one point, too, and I'm a good kid and have a good relationship with them now as a grown-up. Sometimes this just happens. So, like, back off. Like, keep the discipline. Keep the what you got to do. Like, I, 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 stop trying. We don't need to have our... Our kids will always love us, but, like, they don't need to always like us. That's kind of a parent's job, in my opinion. So I say, like, keep it up. If this kid wants to be a, a you know, a, a pouty 17-year-old, let him be a pouty 17-year-old. You keep the discipline up. You want to know where he is at all time, like, then that's your right as a parent to do that. We agree on some things, <laughs> but on, the, on that first part, I'm going to flat out disagree. Um, the part where you said that you should have told him, oh, no, mm -mm, I'm for doing whatever it takes, whatever it takes to check on your kids, to make sure they're not going down a really dangerous road. So that's that's where I'm at. I'm I There is even this Okay, I'm trying to think about what I can say. I do know of a parent. I do know of a parent. Friends of who, mine. Or, <laughs> who is able, he had basically a duplicate phone. Yeah. He was really into technology. And he was able to see all of his daughter's messages that came to his phone. And I'm like, brilliant. I think it's great. You have no privacy. And yes, that's. But you what don't if, think you should tell the kid? No. What have your kids done? Did no, they murder I, somebody? <laughs> okay, let me just. It's brilliant to read very, your daughter's me, diary, her okay. active communications, to listen to her phone calls. All I can tell you. Okay, here's what here's what I'll say. For me personally, in our home, it is a very case by case situation. But if someone has reason to believe and they are very concerned about what could be going on when their kid leaves to home, do what you've got to do. There are just major consequences for when, you know, your kids make a bad decision or end up in a really bad place. I thank God that I snooped on my kids. Thank God, because I have discovered things that I was able to intervene and and make a difference. And so I just and I'm, and I'm not saying I do that for everything. Like, I don't go read her diaries or her journals or things like that. But I might occasionally I'm going to check in on the phone. And I and I do make it mandatory that you share your phone location. And I don't blame that dad for having a copy of the girl's text messages. I get to see what friends I need to subtly push away and which ones I need to invite over for dinner. Jeez. 
I know. It's like Game of Thrones over here. <laughs> the cast of characters, mom's the queen. And Let's it, get this court jester out of here. But what about trust? What about trust with your kids? Because, uh, look, this kid is 17, right? He, he, unlike your son, he did not grow up in a world in which ubiquitous tracking was possible of him. So your kid's going to accept that. But I don't think a 17-year-old today, if mom and dad are like, I'm putting a tracker on your car, are real happy with that. And I think the more that you actively surveil your kids, the more you teach them to lie. Because I guarantee for a savvy kid, there's there's a tech way to beat every single restriction that you put in oh, place. Oh, my kid has tried. I she certainly has, yes. did it when I was a kid. My parents had no clue, no clue. But their efforts certainly got me to learn a lot about it, how to. I think to, that's why you got to be honest know, with them. And see, my older I, one, she's been like playing whack-a-mole. Like I shut down the Wi-Fi. She taps into. She eventually told me she goes, "Yeah, I was able to tap into this other thing." And this was several years ago, much younger. But oh yeah, so you, so you're right. I mean, maybe my tactics aren't the wisest, but I'm trying. I'm out there swinging for the fences. I'm <laughs> but I think about like, you know my parents. Here? Angela's the, the bad cop. You're the good cop. You're I like, so. I'm going to lay it down straight to you, son. And Angela's like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I will know. I think about my poor parents, though. I don't think they they knew where I was from like about 1989 to like maybe 1995 when I graduated from high school. Like, right. I think there was like a time period where they were like, we think we have a son. <laughs> we see him coming. Like, I mean, I could have been, you know, dead in a field somewhere. I mean, God bless my parents. But like, it's a different time these days. It's, it's so true. <laughs> like the whole idea of just free range yeah. when you just used Ooh, to leave and just right. come back before the light. Right. <laughs> and now it's like we, yeah, you feel like you need to, you know, yeah. Oh, Brian425 says I'm creepy listening to your daughter's phone. I don't listen to the phone calls, but I might read some text well, messages. Is that the same? You know what? If you ask me, I think it's a little harsh reaction. The kid's living under the parent's roof with probably the help of them having the ability to drive wherever you want. So it's fair to desire the clear communication on just simple who, what, where, whens. Just to give the frozen shoulder for looking out when it comes to his safety and well-being. Seems like the kid doesn't really understand why the folks are going spy mode on the cruiser. The 17-year-old seems like he was asking for it, pushing the envelope, abusing the texts and calls, ignoring them. So I think he was asking for it. Yeah. Yeah. Nick. Yeah. It's good. It's good. We agree. I think most people agree with with you and Chef. And that's what it, we'll, we'll we'll dive. Someone says, uh, yeah. how does tracking your child equate to? Oh no, this is how does that equate to teaching them to lie? Because they're forced to have to get creative get and, and yeah. get around it. So that might be good mm-hmm. training for all the kids like, I knew with the strictest parents became the best liars. And that's why I think I being to, honest I, about it. Yeah. You know what? I just my my Dorothy. I hope it was Dorothy listening. My mom, she was super strict. Like oh my gosh, I could not breathe. And I actually turn. I'm like, I'm like yeah, the stand for truth, girl. Yeah, you but you're sweet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, I guess it all depends. It's so true that you have to know the kid. Yeah. Yes. And it depends on what's That's going exactly on. exactly right. And you yeah. know what? If your instincts tell you that something's up and you feel like you need to track, there probably is something to that. Mm, that is a very, very good point. All right. That does it for that segment of, you know, we solved that scenario. Coming up next from us, though, here on the G and Ursula show. Chef, what are, we're going to do some agree to disagree. Absolutely. Do you have a tease for us? What, what's one of the topics you're going to ask us a about? A really unique solution for driving under the influence out of Tennessee of all places. <laughs> Tennessee. All right. More after this.